right, Bass Edge Nation. It's Stanley Cup time. No, 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 no. It's really just time for more of Bass Edge Radio. Speaking of Stanley Cup, winning team is sure to have a kill guard protecting their goal because, quite honestly, it's the best protection out there. MegaWare Kill Guard. Visit them at KeelGuard.com. That's right. All kinds of guards from MegaWare. You got the Skeg Guard, Guard This, Guard That. All kinds of great products there. But hey, look, that means one thing. When it's Stanley Cup time, it's open season for bass fishing for our northern brethren. Let's not hesitate hesitate to get this thing started bass edge radio you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour providing the most dependable most trusted keel protection for your boat guaranteed for life so give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Kurt, a lot of drama going on in the bass fishing world. Of course, I'm talking none other than the uh, deposit into my email by Bass Blaster, and that has to do with uh, kind of a failed polygraph, some uh, perhaps controversy, I guess, would be the best way to put that. Yeah, Aaron, really interesting. You know, you can get the full scoop on uh, Jay Kumar's Bass Blaster. Sign up for that at BassBlaster at BassGold.com. But uh, all kinds of great links talking about Luke Claus DQ'd from the Lake Wheeler Elite Series event. I got to say, man, I personally feel really bad for Luke. I mean, I don't know the guy, but uh, obviously he's been in professional bass fishing a long, long time. Got into a situation where he's at dinner with a buddy of his. His buddy starts talking about the blog, and he's doing really well in the event. He gets randomly selected for a polygraph. The polygrapher decides that he's spiking on a question concerning the 20 28 day off limits. Luke says, you know, hey, dude, the only thing that maybe could be triggering a spike is, you know, I went to dinner with my buddy. He started talking about the blog and maybe some possible locations where some guys were fishing just in kind of casual conversation. And anyway, long story short, these rules that are in place are based on the media coverage of these events are impossible to freaking follow. I mean, unless you just walking around with blinders and earplugs you you roll up to the gas station a guy you know randomly pumping gas across the way says hey dude they're really biting in spring creek does that mean you you got to ignore spring creek for your whole tournament because somebody said something to you there's a lot of gray area with this rule it appears to me that the intent of the rule was followed to the t by mr clausen and you know i'm not saying i disagree with bass's decision i think this is going to elevate some 
some new understandings of how we deal with information in this game. Kevin Short wrote another fantastic article about this, talking about all the information that's available from these events online every day. And even, you know, times when anglers get online to look at the blogs and things that have happened. So maybe they can get an advantage or understand some more that's happening out there on the water while they're fishing these events. Well, so the re- reality is, unless you live in a vacuum, all of us are yeah. exposed to information. Am I not correct on that? You are 100% correct. I mean, it's everywhere. You, you know, FLW Tour, Bass Elite Series, you're going to fish your local club tournament and they have a week off limits. And, you know, somebody is saying something about some information about the waterway and uh, whether it's something that you requested or not, it, it's out there. So I think everybody is trying to follow the rules to the best of their ability, especially a guy in Luke's. I mean, dude, he's not going to jeopardize his career. I mean, think about what's going on here. Jeopardize his entire career for somebody to say, hey, you know, well, I think he might have been fishing over by the steam plant. You know, I mean, it's just hearsay stuff. It's not really somebody saying, hey, dude, here's a waypoint X, Y, Z. You need to go hit this because I was out there where you guys were fishing yesterday and I crushed five, five powders off of it. I mean, you know, come on. That, right. That's that's really the intent of the rule, right? So uh, we got to get a little bit more dialed in on the sports movement forward, but an interesting situation. Love to know what other Bass Edge folks think about it. Hey, you know, don't forget to send in those listener questions and uh, don't be afraid to key them up on this kind of situation on how guys are dealing with these rules and things that, that they have to deal with on the national level. But uh, Aaron, talking about rules and, and tournaments, dude, you kicked some tail over there on Table Rock top. Top 10 finish. Tell me about it, brother. Well, you know, being in UNI's position of getting to talk to the many uh, just tremendous anglers that we do here on the show down through the numerous years that we've been on the air, we're kind of put in a unique situation and I gain a lot out of listening to them. I learn a lot and I think being able to then take what the advice that they give us and actually put that into practice is uh, probably one of the most fun parts of my job and I was actually able to do that and I'm talking specifically about the last interview that we had with Scott Ashmore and one of the things that he had mentioned you know in practice is that practice for a tournament versus the MLF format you know practice can actually hinder you because you're fishing expectations and for those that have not listened to that episode, please do so because there's some jewels in that like every episode. But that was really one of the scenarios that I had. Obviously, I have a lot of familiarity with Table Rock, one of my favorite lakes to fish. I consider it my home waters. And normally it's no secret, you know, I'm generally out in the depths of, uh, you know, trying to fish those. Those fish simply were not there. Had a horrible practice. Ended up making a long run up one of the rivers. Had about a 40-mile run every day of the tournament and uh, went shallow. And it trying to expand that on practice because, you know, with it being kind of a post-spawn spawn deal, there was a lot of transition of fish and things that were happening. You had some pre-spawners, some fish that were still actually holding on the bed, and then you had a lot of post-spawners. So uh, starting out that day with a, uh, the first day with a spinnerbait and then transitioning over to where they wouldn't eat the, the spinnerbait, we had a massive cold front come through. And uh, then the, the second day of the tournament, no wind. It was east of what we did have, which is about four miles an hour, but they were kind of mouse-slapping the spinnerbait. So I picked up a square bill and went to work on them there. So, I like it when you say that, dude. I went to work. Work on them. 
good yeah. It felt good too because uh, you know one of the things that just kept going through my mind and resonating with me throughout the course of that day was what Scott said. Don't get locked up on where I caught them yesterday, right? If I caught it off, everything was relating to wood or rock. And if I caught one off of this laydown, perhaps because I my expectations were thinking that I should catch one off of that laydown again, I would miss the boulder that's lying next to it. So really just being open-minded. I fished a lot of new water on the second tournament, was able to upgrade the weight. So the story is, is not about, you know, yes, I'm very pleased with my finish and, and how that came, but the satisfaction really came down to trying to expand what I learned from practice, which was horrible, to the first day of the tournament, which was mediocre. Finished, you know, in the 12th after the first day, heading into the final day of the tournament, and then was able to actually upgrade and move into sixth place. So a lot of good information that we're exposed to here on Bass Edge Radio, Kurt. You bet, man. In uh, so many episodes to choose from, 233 now, concluding uh, this episode. So a lot of stuff out there. And I tell you what, today's episode is really cool. We've got an angler in our spotlight that just listen. I mean, check this guy out. John Cox coming up. FLW Tour Pro doing it his own way. I love this interview. Let's get it on. Two fishermen came together with one agenda to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride extreme rough water just doesn't exist we're not just building a boat we're building a legend legend boats Aaron, we have a very intriguing guest here in this segment of the show, our Angler Spotlight. This FLW Pro has made a top 25 in nine of his last 11 FLW Tour events dating back to the beginning of 2015. He does things his own way, and I'm interested to hear some of his thoughts today. Welcome FLW Tour Pro Angler John Cox to the show. Thanks for taking time to be on this episode, John. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet, John. Uh, Like Kurt said, I am intrigued and excited but your track record over the past two years is simply amazing. I mean, if you could try to put your thoughts on something that triggered really the success and consistency that you're experiencing now, what would that be? I think it's just everything that's come together over the past 15 years of, just, you know, even from when I started fishing tournaments, uh, you know, uh, out of a John boat until now, you know, it's just a lot of it come together, just uh, learning the different techniques and, um, and just figuring out, what I felt most comfortable fishing and stuff, you know, and just kind of it all come together. And then, and then also, you know, with, with great sponsors and equipment I have, I mean, that's just, it just really helps you uh, be consistent and, uh, and do well. Well, John, I'd like so to dive far. a little bit deeper into that story. Last year, I read on an FLW website and I had heard through the grapevine. Um, I wasn't fishing the tour at the time, but uh, there, there was, I went back just yesterday and, and saw some old article and you finished second in the Angler of the year in the 2015 FLW tour season and they were saying that you didn't even have a transducer on the bow graph of your boat is that true or not true let's talk about that a little bit <laughs> yeah, I mean that's true I mean I didn't I didn't even have one in the back of the boat I just uh, you know just went decided uh you know started the season I I um we didn't put one on because uh we were fishing Lake Toho and I had an area that you know you would rip a transducer off getting into and I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to even bother putting one for the first one. And, 
I didn't put it on there, and then I got to Smith, and I had a, a really good first day of practice at Smith, and I and I was like, you know what, I'm just not gonna put it on. I'm just gonna let it roll and see what happens. And it, you know, it just worked out great last year. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. I love it, and and that so that segues right into you know talking about your entire boat setup, and and not just on the electronic side, but it's actually quite different than the typical boat that you find on tour and really quite honestly most any bass fishing tournament these days but i think it's it's one that resonates with so many people so many of the grassroots guys that are out there yeah i mean you know i last year i had a uh, a Crestliner dc19 with a 150 mercury four stroke and i actually ran that boat for the last three years uh, on tour and um i mean it's just an awesome boat you know it's it, it, it brought me back to uh, you know, and that's kind of what, how it all came together. You know, I kept thinking, you know, Crestliner's been my sponsor for so long. You know, I've been fishing aluminum boats. You know, my entire life. So just to, just, just to make sure know. that we we hear this, it's a it was a Crestliner DT 19 footer, 19 foot aluminum tin, as Kurt likes to call it. Boat. <laughs> that's correct, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a 150. But you know, and it, and it was fine. It's just you know, a few of the tournaments. I think we were on the Potomac, and we had you know, an outflowing tide and a 20 mile per hour wind into the tide, you know, and, I mean, there was like six footers out there and it was just, I mean, it was okay, but it was just a little scary. So for this year, we, we came out, Crestliner came out with a uh, PT20, which is now, it's a 20 foot aluminum boat. Um, it's a lot wider than last year's. It's got a 200 Pro XS on it. It's so much more comfortable, you know, and, and it's just, it's an amazing boat. It's really like helping me fish, uh, you know, shower and, you know, and I think that's the main thing is when you get out there, it's just it's like what you feel comfortable doing. And uh, I feel like I can fit great in the, in the boat that I'm in. And it sounds like it. I mean, take it last year, you know, you ran the 19 footer and uh, let, let's talk about the economy of this real quick. You know, you know, you got all these awesome. I mean, I'm running a Ranger. It's an awesome boat. Really love it. Uh, Aaron's been running a legend uh, for the last couple of years and, and, and he really likes that boat. And, and there's a lot of great fiberglass bass boats out there. But the cost, it impedes everybody getting involved with fishing or, or more people getting involved with fishing because of the, at least bass fishing tournaments and the way you see it on television a lot of times because of those that cost. Let's talk about the economics of, of that Crestliner and, and how does that work out? Is it more cost effective? I mean, where, where are we at on, you know, how can a guy, if he's interested in getting involved and he says, hey, look, man, I can't fish a tour or I can't fish a Costa event or I can't fish a Bassmaster Open because, you know, I can't afford a $75,000 boat. Where, where are you going when you go into the Crestliner dealership and when you walk out with a 19 or 20 footer, where are we at these days? Oh, I mean, you're, you're looking, you know, the, the 20, uh, MSRP is like around 30, like right at 30. Um, the 19 is, uh, you know, low 20, but that's, that's without a transducer. Transducers. Yeah. 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 But you know, that was like, you know, that's how it all came along too, because what, you know, uh, when you're trying to do this and you go to the bank and you're like, Hey, I need to borrow, you know, $60,000 to, to buy this boat. And they're like, well, what do you do? And they're like, Oh, well, I got it. And I fish in tournament. They're just going to laugh at you. You know, they're not going to give you a loan for something like that. And, uh, you know, and that's, you know, it's, it's just a lot easier to come up with that, you know, that lesser amount, of, you know, and be able to go out there. And also, I mean, not even the boat's cheaper. The gas, you're using less gas, uh, pulling it behind your truck, you're using, you know, you're saving just 
tons of gas money and uh, it's just it's an awesome yeah, and, and get, insurance and everything else get out there yeah and so yeah, and you mean, know you're not skimping on equipment either i mean you got two poles hanging on the back right yeah i mean you got, i got two power poles on there i got a uh, six inch atlas jack plate i pretty much got it loaded out just like you would uh you know you would load your your normal uh fiberglass rig out you know except the transducers <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's awesome man i do gotta i gotta throw in there that ranger does have a that has, has an awesome aluminum boat too you know obviously you're, you're affiliated with crestliner fantastic boat being associated with flw tour have you ever looked at the ranger you know aluminum boats or do they even make a 20 footer like the crestliner does yeah you know they i don't right now they don't have anything that big yet and the other thing you know crestliner when i won that tournament uh on the red river i had a uh, 17-foot Crestliner with a 75 four-stroke on it, Mercury four-stroke. Right. And when okay. I won that tournament, they put the rule, FLW put the rule in, you have to have at least a 150 horsepower. And that's when Crestliner came out with that DT-19, and that, that you know, they got it rated for a 150. And, uh, gotcha, gotcha. So it took so I, mean, I remember yeah. that tournament. That, that tournament, you went through like a little tube or something and got into a backwater, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, you know, the tube was like at a 40 degree angle. I had water rushing through it and I took the jack plate up and just hammered down on that motor until until I got into the other side. That's awesome. You didn't have to, you didn't have to pull your bilge plug and let the, let the boat sink a little bit, did you, to get in through there? (laughs) No, no, but man, I'm telling you, if they would have had any video of us getting out of there. It was unbelievable. <laughs> well, we're actually going to get into that in the second part of the interview. But before we go to break, I want to, you know, take this another step. You know, we talked about the equipment, talked about things that have been going on and how how awesome your performance has been the last couple of years. What made you decide on this shallow water style that was going to be your specialty approach? I mean, what, what was the mindset and the strategy based on that? Basically, what I view from my perspective is a full-out commitment to fish shallow. Yeah, you know, that, and that's when it all kind of started coming together and the light started coming on. It was like, you know, I, I don't think I ever was like, oh, you know, I should have went deep that tournament. You know, it was always like if I went deep, it was like, damn, you know, I probably should have went shallow because, you know, I'd finish up the day and catch some shallower. You know, and it was just, it was hard to like, you know, I'd go out there and I'd be fishing a spot out deep and I'd leave it and, and Mark Rose would pull on it. You know, right after I left and catch 25 pounds. So it was kind of, um, <laughs> you know, I just I realized I didn't know what I was doing out there. <laughs> That can so, be a uh, that can be a gut shot real quick, but uh, I, I know yeah. your position. I've yeah. been there before. So basically, what you're saying, in in all other media types, that Kurt and I and Bass Edge from our sponsor relationships are probably getting our pink slips because the 232 episodes that we've done up until this time could be reduced to just fish shallow, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it, but it does have its times too. Like, uh, you know, we had a tournament. Um, our last tournament on Pickwick, you know, and there was a lot of guys on the bank and it, and it actually, uh, you know, it made it a little bit tougher than, you know, the normal where, you know, you'd have half your guys out, half your guys in. So we'll and, just uh, tell everybody to fish deep. That way it leaves all the shallow stuff for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's, that's where, you know, going into these summer months, you know, you can really get on some stuff because there's, you know, everybody's kind of, everybody clicks to go into the bank and everybody goes offshore. Right, right, right. And we're going to jump into that. But, guys, we got to take a uh, quick pause in the action. Bass Edge Radio will be right back with more from FLW Tour Pro and shallow water expert John Cox. Oh, 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 oh. 
O'Reilly. Sign up to become an O'Reilly O Rewards member today and start earning instantly. O Rewards members earn $5 back for every $150 they spend, so if you haven't become a member yet, what are you waiting for? It's fast, easy, and free. O Rewards, it's your road to exclusive offers only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, Bass Edge Nation, we are returning and tearing it up with FLW Tour Angler John Cox and our Angler Spotlight, brought to you in part by MegaWare Keelguard. Be sure to check out the other products from MegaWare Keelguard on their website at keelguard.com. So, John, we have established you're a shallow water guy, and uh, when you're fishing this time of year, you know, it's the beginning of June, uh, a high percentage of the fish, you know, are obviously seeking some deeper water this time of year. What is it that you're looking for in those shallow waters that keeps you around quality fish? You know, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, factors that come into that shallow bite being there you know one, one thing is rain you know if you get a lot of rain seems to just cool the water off enough to get you know it gets fish to come you know out of that deeper water and go up shallow feed on bluegill shad whatever it might be and then another uh main player is, is the wind you know you usually need you know the wind to either blow shad or stuff because even a lot of the bait fish you know when it starts getting that warm a lot of the bait fish aren't going to want to go up there in that 80 degree water and uh you know the shad really won't want to they'll want to all go out but if you get a lot of wind or even some kind of current that would bring that bait to the bank you know that helps a lot too and then another huge thing is uh this shade i mean if you got docked any kind of shade from trees you know a lot of them bluegills that don't go out uh, actually a lot of smaller bluegills they'll stay up under in their shaded areas and that'll get you know the fish to come up for them and stuff and the deep spots you know it seems like there's a, a huge timing thing to it too and it seems like you know when we get into the june july and stuff like that it seems like the, the timing on them shallow fish the windows are so small like the window might only be 30 minutes or 45 minutes whenever what happens that day that brings them fish to the bank to feed just for that little bit so you really have to be ready and be prepared because that that bite window is going to be so small when it happens but you know that's that's when you do catch them good ones though hey going back to the shade comment talk to us a little bit about chasing the shade kind of like chasing the tide and and what that means to you, you know, maybe in those earlier morning hours as the sun's coming up over the horizon. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm still like, you know, I'm I'm trying to get more and more keyed in on it uh, as time goes on, and that, I mean, there's just so much you can do to perfect it. You know, and then the same thing like you're saying, follow the shade and just kind of set your spots up to where okay, I'm going to go over to this pocket uh, when the sun's coming up in the morning because it's going to have shade on it longer or, or you know, and then I'm going to jump over to this side, uh, you know, when it's when it's straight up and down because the trees are set up perfect in this area for there to be shade under it. And uh, the thing, too, is you don't want too much shade either. You know, you don't want to have too much shade where they're way out from the base of the tree because you want to pull in and throw right to them and catch them and move on. And Kind of like a pitcher, a major league pitcher with that strike zone, right? I mean, he's trying to kind of narrow that strike zone down into one defined area to where the hitters can't hit it. And that's kind of what you're trying to do with your bait, right? Is put that in the bottom of the strike zone so they can't resist it. Yep. That's pretty much it. Pretty much getting it where, you know, right where you can present that bait to them perfectly, you know. Okay, well, let's switch gears now over into approaching a tournament. Are you looking for areas that really seclude yourself away from the traffic? Or, you know, are you just kind of an overall shallow water approach independent of, you know, the spectators and the weekend guys and other tournament anglers? Yeah, you know, I, I try, if, if there's an area that I think might have 
potential, you know, that's off the beaten path, you know, yes, I'll try to look at it, try to find something like that. A lot of them areas, I think like 95% of the time don't work out, <laughs> you know, but every once in a while, just like, you know, the Red River tournament, I mean, it right. was, that was off the beaten trail. I mean, it was an hour and 45 minutes and takeoff through a lock, you know, way up this creek on through a pipe. But I mean, you got to think all the other times I went to stuff like that and it just, you know, wasn't right, you know, but, you know, so I, I do a lot. I do look a little bit for that, but I also fish just a lot of normal stuff everybody else fishes, you know, and just try to find where there's a, you know, a bigger concentration of fish and just like what part of that lake turning on, you know, there's always, it's usually in sections, you know, it's not, and sometimes you can run the whole lake too. It's just, it, it really depends on what body of water you're on. So when you're, when you're up there looking for those, you know, those different types of, of uh, either locations on the lake or forage behaviors. Are, are there some key factors that you're really, um, you know, like, okay, let, let's, I'll just throw out there a mayfly hatch, right? You know, it's probably something yeah, that's kind yeah. of a summertime deal. You know, you got some mayflies yeah. or, or you talked about some bluegill beds earlier. So we mentioned two mayfly hatch, bluegill beds. What are the other forage behaviors that you're looking for in the shallows that kind of help your approach that maybe we haven't mentioned yet or, or kind of talked about well, or something? Something that you really the focus only, in on. The only other thing I can think of is like places where I would normally fish deep. Uh, you know, and getting a lot of wind or a lot of current or something and actually uh, moving those shad and, and bait fish out there on the ledge, you know, blowing some in towards the banks, you know, that's pretty much it. Cause it's pretty much, you know, if they're, if they're not uh, chasing bluegills or, uh, you know, sometimes you get late shad spawn too. I mean, it's just pretty much anything, any kind of bait fish, anything they would, they could actually go push to the bank. That's pretty much what gets them to go to those areas. Well, I can only assume, you know, kind of narrowing down your focus to the shallows that your selection of baits are pretty dialed in in a similar situation to your overall approach. What are some techniques and lures that you rely on to more or less get in there and grind it out in the shallows? Well, you know, the main the main thing I've been doing this year is, and last year, is I'm, I'm building my own MHX rods. And that's the start before it even... You know, uh, you can, you know, you can have like the perfect bait, the winning bait, but if you don't have the right rod built for that setup, you know, it's not going to perform to its fullest, you know. Elaborate a little bit on that. Why, why is the rod so important, John? Well, you know, it's, it's, you know, over time you like, you know, I, I realized what I fished with a long time ago into what I'm building now is that, you know, you know how you're always trying to customize your bait. You know, you're trying to tweak your bait to get an edge over the other guy. And now that we're able to, you know, you can tweak your rod to have the advantage over the other guy. For, for instance, like my, uh, you know, the rod I throw, uh, you know, my chatter bait off. I don't want a super long handle, but I don't want a short handle. So I, I, I get it so it fits my arm just right um, when I'm casting so I can roll cast it. But then I also have one where, you know, it loads like, kind of like a crankbait rod. And then the other thing is, too, is that. When I build it, I, I space the guides uh, perfectly. You know, I, I put the guides all in the blank. I bend the blank just like uh, I was fighting a fish. I make sure the line's not touching the blank anywhere. Stuff like that, just when you're fighting that fish or when you're jerking it off a log or something, and it all just kind of comes together when you have the right equipment. But and the reason why that's important is because obviously <laughs> yeah. obviously catching fish in the shallows, they generally have nowhere to go but up, and you certainly don't want to give them any yeah. slack when it when it comes time to uh, fighting that fish. <laughs> no, 
amount. There's no doubt that this is probably the biggest trend. I mean, we've talked about this, and over the last 10 episodes, we've at least talked about this three or four times. Yeah, I was thinking the same 200 thing. 200 prior to this, we've probably never discussed it, and that, and that is custom rods. You know, obviously, you know, MHX, John's talking about the uh, mud hole series, right? That's right, John, yeah. it's a mud hole tackle. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and guys are building these rods, and I, I can think of how many times, I mean, just this week guiding on, on Lake Amistad, you know, I'm out there and, and uh, you know, a client loses a fish or he gets a bite, but he can't capitalize on it. And and I think what's happening, you know, is that we're really taking this to another level of every time that you get a bite. And, and maybe it's the fact that, you know, I'm just taking this to John's situation. If he's fishing in June, shallow water, let's say in Kentucky Lake, or he goes to whatever pond is, is in, you know, the listener's backyard and he gets a bite, he knows he might not get 10 or 15 of those a day. He's going to get maybe four to eight bites. But every time that he gets a good bite, he's got to capitalize on it. And this is giving him the confidence and ability to put every fish that strikes that lure into the boat. And I think it's a concept that we previously, you know, a year, two, three, four years ago, we really didn't think too much about. But John and like Brandon Lester and Bradley Roy, which we've had on the show, have really brought this into a huge focus and how important this part of your arsenal really is. Well, I tell you, that's a good point, Kurt, but I tell you what I'm thinking, John, and this is between you and I, I'm thinking when you get done with your rods this year, I'll buy them from you because that way I know that they're built right. (laughs) So, yeah, so let's take that to the next step. Are we coming out with the John Cox series or what? The the John Cox Shallow Water Series. You're going to build like eight or nine rods or what? Yeah, I think they have a kid at Monhole. It's a great kit to get started with. And uh, it's everything you need, all the, you know, you get the rod blank, the handles, the guys, you know. And, it, and honestly, guys, I mean, it's, I was afraid of it two years ago. And then, and actually, was, I was having someone build them for me. And then, uh, you know, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. And man, when I gave it a shot, I got so into it. And honestly, if you look to see, when I started doing better was as soon as I started building rods, like my finishes and just stay consistent and better and it's just helped me key in so much more and and just get in tune with different baits i'm throwing and you know and it just man it's just really all coming together (laughs) i want to make sure we we go back to this question really quick because i think it's important what john mentioned about about his rods and, and and how that helps him but technique wise you know as you really have dialed in the shallow water approach your strategy is very particular is your lure selection just as particular or are you just running the gamut i mean are you like you know let's say b height you know brent height he's he's chatterbait 101 like i don't know dude every time i see him on gopro on bassmaster he's freaking whining a chatterbait i mean so what's john cox's go-to deal you a flipper pitcher frogger you a spinning rod guy what's your approach to to these shallow water techniques that you rely on heavily you know the the crazy thing is is that like i i don't have like you know like brett with just the chatterbait i mean i'll throw the chatterbait some i'm just playing the conditions of each day of what i'm gonna throw and like you know now you know and i don't have many things like my chatterbait i'll have a black and blue one and i'll have a green pumpkin one you know and then like my spinnerbait i just have a white one you know and then i'll throw like a 1.5 i just have it in a shad color my stuff's really simple and, and then even for my spinner rod you know if i throw if i end up throwing a shaky head uh, you know it's just like a green pumpkin trick worm on it or uh you know a wackery cinco you know i don't get it too mixed up with everything uh i mean for me it's hard to 
stay focused and when you like when you have like nine million colors to pick from and right. um, you know and you just have all these different baits you know like some of them like thrift and any morgan stuff and you know have 20 rods on the deck and you just roll them with it and uh, i just kind of whatever the conditions are whether you know if it's going to be like a calm slick day and you know, i know they're not going to really eat you know chatterbait or or anything spinnerbait stuff like that i'll pull out the spinning rods and i'll flip or whatever i need to do you know it's just pretty much just going day by day i mean and the crazy thing is i'll, I'll practice i'll end up throwing something going to the tournament i never even practiced with you know or i'll end up having to change because of it you know because right. it's just you know the conditions are always changing. And, totally understand yeah. that. You know, have a fishing tournament and uh, create crazy weather. That's the uh, mantra we all live by everywhere we go. Yeah. So, well, I'll tell you what, we have a segment on our show where we answer a listener question. It's our O'Reilly mm-hmm. Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day, listener question segment. Today's question comes from Brian Fredrickson. And Brian asks, I hear a lot of pros talk about using braid to fluoro on their spinning reels. Do they ever use use micro guides on their spinning rods and is the knot ever an issue? Yeah, that's a good question. I do like the braid to fluorocarbon. I feel like you get less uh, wind knots and stuff. And, uh, you know, for, for guides, I mean, I've tried micro guides. I've tried uh, these case light guides. You know, I've tried a bunch of different guides. Uh, micro. I really like the, uh, just the regular old standard guides. Um, I, and I, I just, I don't know if it's just a comfort thing or what, but it just seems like the line goes through it, you know, through the guides really well. And um, it, it might be more of a preference thing too, you know, I might go find some micro guides too. And the, and the thing with the knot, I mean, if you tie the knot just right, then it seems like if you're using a lighter fluorocarbon leader, you know, less than 10, it seems to shoot through them guides perfect. It just seems like when you get up, you know, to that 12, 15 pounds, you know, that, that knot so much bigger, it doesn't shoot through those guides uh, as good as uh, you know the lighter line would. Well, that's a good uh, observation because I prefer the. I'm a big fluoro to braid guy on the spinning reel because I, I do actually keep one in my hand quite a bit. But let me let me ask you this: show this mm-hmm. out there on that. Do you put a glue on your knot or do you just tie the knot and go? I just tie the knot and go, and I but I do retie a lot. Like I mean, that was one thing they mentioned that Artwell. You know, the first three days I caught them all on spinning rod, and uh, everybody's like, "Man, you're so cotton like." Because you know, blood knot takes a little bit of time. You know, when you tie those lines together, and uh, I would just you know I take a break and I just I, I only had one spinning rod on the deck, so I, you know I'd sit down, I'd just you know take the time to retie it because um, that knot does get worn, you know, shooting through the guide so much. And another big thing is my spinning rod, I don't ever cast it overhand. Anytime I'm using a spinning rod, I'm I'm either pitching it or I'm just kind of just flicking it underhand or from the side. I'm not really like loading the rod up, you know, behind my head and, and swinging it forward. And uh, I think that saves uh, that knot a lot too is when you're just doing far pitches with it. It seems like that knot shoots through the uh, rod a lot better and doesn't wear it out as fast. Well, that's a great observation. Thanks, John, for answering that question mm-hmm. for Brian. And Brian, great questions. And be sure to send us an email to support at BassEdge.com and let us know you heard your answer here on the show and we'll send you that O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And as always, quick reminder to the Bass Edge listeners, send in those questions to the show via our website, BassEdge.com, or you can also email those, support at Bass Edge, 
or hit up the Facebook and Twitter pages. Leave us a comment. Let us know. Hopefully, we'll get your question on the show, and you can be the next O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card winner. Well, John, you have certainly raised the bar and possibly put us and most tackle manufacturers out of business. But other than that, uh, this is your opportunity <laughs> to uh, to give some closing uh, closing remarks to Bass Edge Nation uh, before we let you off of here. So, I mean, I'm just happy you guys had me on, and uh, you know, I got to thank my sponsors. Um, you know, I, when I started doing this, I said, you know, I, I'm only gonna, you know, any sponsorship. I'm going to tape. I'm going to make sure it's, it's going to be stuff that I know is going to, um, you know, help me, you know, succeed and do better and stuff. And, uh, and I just got to take my whole MHX rods, uh, Crestliner boats, uh, Mercury Marine. My buddy Billy Taylor, uh, he's he's got a doctor's office called River Life, and uh, yeah, he's he's been there with me from, for you know since I started, and uh, yeah, just all them guys there. It's just it's just awesome that they're behind me, and uh, I guess yeah, get ready, and uh, we'll be at Kentucky Lake here uh, this week. <laughs> you bet, man. Well, it's uh, awesome for you to give those folks a shout out. Really appreciate you hanging with us, John. Very intriguing interview. Had a lot of fun. Look forward to seeing you at the remainder of the FLW Tour events this year. Bass Edge Radio will be right back after these messages. I'm FLW Tour anchor Jamie Horton. Hang right here for more Bass Edge Radio. Roll time. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Kurt, I sound like a broken record when we talk about our guests and the talent that we have, but that interview really resonated with me on numerous levels. Aluminum boat, a guy keeping it simple. And then how many times have we heard about the custom rod building? Yeah, custom rod building, new huge way to go for lots of folks. Several pros putting it in their arsenal and got to love John's approach to fishing. I love the fact, you know, he talked about, you know, he was on a deep spot or, or figuratively on a deep spot and didn't catch as much as he wanted. And Mark Rose rolls in or somebody and catches 25 behind him, you know, and he's like, dude, I need to concentrate on what I'm good at and what I really like to do, and, and that's fish shallow. Then kind of evolving into his entire approach being shallow-oriented with his equipment, uh, you know, being the Crestliner boat and the aluminum boat setup, and uh, still being able to economically attack a pro fishing career in, in that way because it works for him. That's not going to work for everybody. But, man, it's, it's cool just to break it down, see what he's liking to do, how he's approaching it, what his mindset is, and then that shallow water approach. You think, you know, well, it's just shallow water. There's lots of things. And then he starts including all these variables that he looks at and, and he dissects and, and, and readily admits he's still learning even more variables and how to capitalize on the uh, prime moments to catch shallow water fish when, quite frankly, at most times, guys are avoiding those because of the time of year. You know, you get into this summertime, more people are looking out deep. But, you know, let's take a throwback before we had all this grass. And, and, and 
all these ways to uh, approach these deep water fish. I can't tell you how many classics in the past were won by shallow water anglers. I remember uh, George Cochran won at High Rock Lake, you know, in August, you know, blazing heat, North Carolina, stowing a spinnerbait around stumps, you know. And you take this back and look at some of the, the history of bass fishing and shallow water was such a huge part of it. And this deep water phenomenon has really began over the last six or eight years with with all this great electronics technology that we have and to where now we don't even cast we don't we don't even fish to locate deep water bass we just drive around in our boats and wait for them to pop up on the screen and say oh yeah there they are i'll see you guys tomorrow on tourney day right john's taking a totally different approach he says hey i'm not going that route i'm going a different route and i'm going to be successful doing what i like to do and dude is killing it I mean, straight killing it. We said at the top, nine out of the last 11 FLW Tour events, top 25. Come on, get you some. Dude's rocking it. No doubt. And, Kurt, let me throw this out to you. You know, so many times I think that one thing that we do not speak of very often is someone's temperament or mental makeup. For instance, let me give you an example. Way back when I can remember Zona, Mark Zona, when we had him on the show, talking about Kevin Van Dam and his metabolism and how that no other angler can fish as fast as what he does because he's just geared that way, right? And so he uses that to his advantage. I think John Cox is one. His demeanor is calm. He just, you know, it, it just appears in the interview that he's just a cool cat, you know, and doesn't overthink, doesn't make things too complicated, and kind of filters out all the noise and just keeps those blinders on and puts his head down and goes to work. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. And uh, finding that angler identity, John Cox capitalizing on his angler identity. Bass Edge Nation, take a deep look. Listen to the podcast. Take a look at your own fishing and how you like to approach it. Find your angler identity. This is the basis of this episode, number 233, Bass Edge Radio. We got a jet out of here. Appreciate y'all being with us. We'll be back June 15th for the next episode of Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Mercury Marine, Lowrance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.